welcome back to another episode of Home Buying Secrets. Today, we're very excited to uh, bring Robert to the show, who is a tax CPA. Uh, we've been, you know, chasing Frank and I have been spitballing a lot about taxes, but uh, we're not experts. So uh, it's time to bring in an expert uh, to, to tell us about this. So, so, so Robert, let's start off with you, which I think is a, it's, it's a great, you know, topic starter, which is you're a, a new first time owner, uh, homeowner too. Can you tell us about, you know, why did you decide to buy a home and what are the you know, tax implications for you in your first year of buying a home? Uh, yeah, so uh, well, thanks and uh, great to be on and great to talk to you guys. Um, so uh, my first home, let's see, we closed uh, end of February and Jason helped me out with the loan and everything. So thank you, Jason. It was a really smooth process. Um, so I had been living with my grandfather for the past, you know, four or five or so years um, you know, he was, his health was declining. And so I lived with him and he's in the process of, of his, you know, his health was failing basically. And so I had to think about, okay, am I then go rent or can I actually afford to buy a house? Uh, can I afford the down payment? Can I afford the mortgage? Uh, and you know, is my job secure enough where I think I'm going to have this income stream, you know, keep coming in. And so that was kind of the factors I, I went through and there's, you know, just one morning, I just went on Zillow or Redfin or whatever. And I just kind of looked at prices and, you know, and then I kind of did my budget and I was figuring out, you know what, I don't really want to rent a place and have, you know, you know, 1500, $1,800, $2,000 just going down the drain. I'd rather be putting that into equity and keeping that money. So I, I kind of looked at my finances and you know, I said, this is something I could do. And uh, so I started looking and uh, I talked to Chase and then uh, luckily, you know, um, down the street was a, a real estate agent. So I talked to him and, you know, I just started looking and it kind of, everything just kind of worked out. Um, so that's kind of how my thought process started on whether I should buy a house, if it's the right time or rent. And for me, being a finance person, I, I really didn't want to keep paying rent and, and just seeing that money go out the door when it's, it's my money. And I wanted to build equity off that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was in the same boat. Uh, I was renting for five years. And as the, you know, lease renewal came in, I was like, you know what, mm, probably need to explore this. So first thing I did was also, you know, I, I've been in conversations with Chase and Frank about this topic for years now, but I finally pulled the trigger recently. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so from a, a, a tax perspective, um, what are you gonna do this year? Because, you know, Tell us about like mortgage interest and, and things of that nature. Uh, well, in the past, for me personally, I'd never had uh, enough deduction to, uh, deductions to itemize. And so for you know, non-tax people out there, you can either use the standard deduction or you can itemize and itemize deductions. And usually in the past, the standard deduction hasn't been uh, that high. So most people itemize. You, know, you have your state and local taxes, you have donations and then you have your mortgage interest. Those are the three big things. There's other, you know, itemized deductions that are out there, but those are the three main ones that most people use. And with the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the TCJA, uh, a few years ago when, when Trump was in office, uh, they increased the standard deduction. So you can either take the standard deduction or your itemized deductions, whichever is higher, okay? 
And so right now, I think itemized for 2021, um, the standard deduction, sorry, is 12,000 and change for single people for married filing joint, it's 25 and change. So um, if you cannot get your itemized deductions above that standard, you're just gonna take the standard deduction. So some people just don't even try um, just because they don't have enough itemized deductions to get there. You just take the standard and it's very easy. Okay, let, let's cover each of these items because that's it's pretty interesting. So let's start off with the, the, the mortgage interest. So um, once, you get, once you get a loan, obviously you're gonna pay off more of the interest uh, than the principal. So I'm assuming in the earlier years of a mortgage, this is going to be good for your itemization. So I, I, I understand that part. State and local income taxes. I didn't know you could deduct that, but that's great. That's kind of obvious, right? You file your taxes and then, you know, whatever that, num that number is, mm -hmm. you do that. Uh, let's talk about donations. Is there like a limit on donations? Uh, yes and no. Uh, in the past, there has been a, a limit on donations um, and the type of charity you donate to. Um, so regular charity, Red Cross, all that stuff, it's you're in the past, you were limited to 50% of your income when you would get a deduction. So say you made $100,000, that's your adjusted gross income, you can deduct and you somehow had, say, $100,000 just sitting in the bank, you wanted to donate, you would only be able to deduct 50% of that. Okay, so and then the rest would be carried forward to next year or the previous years, whenever you can use it. The COVID Relief Act, um, that was bumped up last year to 100%. So you can pretty much just wipe out your income if you, if you had the cash to donate to, you know, all of it to charity, but uh, not many people are doing that. Oh, I see. So this is, this is uh, interesting because I always, you know, like to think about the, you know, the, the tax, <laughs> the tax schemes of, of the rich and, Theoretically, you know, the more wealthy you are, you're you're less working via income and you have assets. So let's say you just have a lot of bunch of stock and they're appreciating, your income might be low due to whatever, whatever reason. And now you can just wipe out all your income, but your actually wealth and your assets are still generating um, like appreciation. Yeah. And then there's also uh, I mentioned, you know, the type of um, charity that you're donating to donating to. So most of the charities that that everybody knows about. Is, isn't that 50%? Actually, now I think it might be 60% bucket. Uh, but there are um, other charities that are lower uh, percentage at 30%. And those are more like family foundations um, where usually the um, those organizations, there's only maybe one to two to three people, main people that are donating to this organization. So if you have a small amount of people donating a huge proportion of the uh, donations for the year, then you're characterized as, as a foundation and you only get that 30% or people who donate to that only get 30%. So you're somewhat limited there. That sounds like a whole nother rabbit hole of you have your own foundation, you're paying yourself, things like that. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about another type of um, deduction for some of our audience members who are typically, you know, like tech employees working remote. Um, is it true that you could deduct, let's say, your home office space uh, as, uh, you know, as something? Yes. Uh, yes, you can. Uh, however, that has to be your main place of business. You can't really have an office that you go to 
and just you know home office sometimes um you know if you if you vi- if you have clients or if you have patients or whatever that you see at your home office then that's okay but if you're just doing work you know an hour a day uh, the irs is not going to let you deduct uh expenses from that so um, oh so you're deducting expenses as i thought you you just deduct the um the space as a percentage of your total mortgage or, or rent is that how it works Yes. Uh, So there's a simplified method and um, just a regular method. Simplified method is you take uh, the square footage of your home office, say it's a 10 by 10 room, 100 square feet, times it by $5 per uh, square foot. And that's a simplified method. IRS allows you to deduct $500. And usually there's no questions asked. Uh, It doesn't really get audited all that much. So, uh, but if you're going to do like a thousand foot, you know, room, they're going to look at that because actually the, the limit, let me see, the limit is you can only do 300 square feet. So that's the, uh, the max that you can uh, say your home office is, but like you were talking about the regular method is, so say, you know, your, your apartment is a uh, hundred square feet or sorry, a thousand square feet and your office is 100 square feet. So that's 10% of the entire apartment. Then you can take 10% of all your expenses, meaning rent, utilities, um, any uh, you know, office supplies, stuff like that. Hey, Robert, uh, when we're talking about these, uh, these deductions, does this only apply to self-employed people or do W-2 employees, can they take advantage of this as well? Yeah, so that's, uh, that was another thing I was gonna point out is uh, with the TCJA, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, some uh, uh, those deductions for um, W-2 employees went away. You can no longer deduct that as an itemized deduction on Schedule A. They are now only available to um, people who are either self-employed, have have uh, you know Schedule C business, or um, are are a partner in a partnership. And they can deduct them again. You know, if you um, if you have expenses um, that the partnership does not reimburse you for. Thank you. That's a great question, Jason. Um, all right, Robert. Let's take it back. Let's take a bigger picture, which is um, so you mentioned this this recent change to increase the itemized uh, or the standard deduction to twelve thousand five fifty. Macro level, what has happened over like the last five or 10 years? Because I remember when I was growing up, I always heard about this like, you know, first time home buyer's credit. I just want to like debunk some myths. I'm, I'm assuming that's no longer available. What, what other, you know, benefits of owning a home existed, but no longer exists today? So I've had my license for seven years, um, right? Is it seven? Oh, eight years now. And I, I always heard about that first time home buyer's credit. And I, in practice, I've never seen it. So I don't know what everybody's talking about. It, it might be something that, you know, like real estate professionals talk about or bankers talk about, try and entice you into buying a house from a tax perspective. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so. that, that, that makes sense. Or, or maybe it was something like literally from like the nineties, uh, because very possible. Very yeah. Possible. yeah. All right. So we, we talked a lot about um, basically first-time homes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of uh, investment properties now. 
So mm-hmm. one hot topic I've heard about, but I've never seen anyone do it, is this uh, 1031 exchange. Okay. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Uh, yeah, I actually have a bunch of clients going through it right now. So uh, next tax season, I've got like seven or eight I got to do. So or actually, I'll have other people do it and I'll review their work. But uh, so 1031 exchange, just to the basics, it's a like kind exchange. And it after the TCJA, it's only has to do with real estate. So you used to be able to do 1031 exchanges for like planes or your car, you know, different things like that. Uh, but now it's just real estate, uh, any type of real estate, land, uh, commercial or residential. Um, and it's like kind of exchange. You're changing one piece of property for another. And they have to be either, either equal or greater value the, um, from the old to the new. And so let me just go. I've got a couple things uh, that you should know. So let's see here. Uh, you have to invest all the proceeds. So you sell a property and all the money has to go into that new property that you buy. And if any money comes out in, in our world, we call it boot. IRS calls it boot. It's, it's a weird word, but just means you're taking out money and you have to pay um, capital gains on that. So what normally you do is you have what they call an accommodator. So a third party who, who holds your money for you. If you touch your money ever in a 1031 exchange, that's, that's pretty bad. That, that would break the rules in a 1031 and, and negate the, uh, the exchange. So you, you want to hire a, an accommodator. And usually their fees are, are pretty nominal. It's usually never more than like $1,000. So you sell the property, they hold the money. You have to identify the new property within 45 days. And then you have to actually close on that new property within 180 days of, of the, the, the selling your old um, uh, property. So there are a lot of steps and there's uh, quite a few that I'm skipping, but just stay yeah. on a high level. Um, the, that's basically what it is. And so, so you, you will, once you go from that, old, you're selling your old property, you're picking up a new product, property in the eyes of the IRS, you're not uh, changing any type of position, even though you may have bought a more, uh, um, a property with greater value, you're not really changing your position. So you, you pay no tax. And you, so basically you're deferring the tax uh, down the line for the now you have a new property. Got it. So what type of um, what type of game are we playing here? Is this basically someone who uh, I'm assuming this is primarily not used for your, you know, your, your primary residence. And this is for maybe like an investment property and you're kind of, uh, you know, buying bigger or, or better or more expensive properties and therefore deferring taxes into the future. Yeah. So that's that's two things. So first, um, what I forgot to mention is yes, it's, it's only on investment properties, uh, properties held for investment. So it's not your personal residence at all. You can't do that. The second thing that you talked about is defer. Yeah. You were deferring taxes and in the tax kind of real estate world, um, there's a saying of you defer, 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 die. And what that means is 
so you're, and that's what a lot of the richer people do. Um, so you're buy you buy a property, low value because say it's like 20 years ago. And then you keep doing 1031 exchanges, you get more properties that have increased in value and then you die and then you give it to your beneficiaries, your heirs, and you get a step up in basis and no one's ever paying the tax on that. So that's kind let's, of the game. Let's talk about that. So I want to talk about two things about this uh, deferred, deferred, deferred die strategy, which is great. Yeah. So what does step up in basis mean? And what are the uh, tax implications of inheriting real estate? Okay, so step up in basis, um, it's a tax code. So we talked about tax code 1031. This is tax, tax code 1014. So the internal revenue code 1014. And so the step up in basis is, um, so basically, um, so say, take an example, my grandfather, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, my grandfather passed away. He had a home. And so when he gives that to my aunts and uncles as inheritance, uh, it's like he's selling it to my aunts and uncles at fair market value. So they get it in their hands at fair market value, right? At the date of death or six months later. Um, so whichever the value is greater. Um, so then, so that is not a taxable event, but my aunts and uncles get a step up in basis for the fair market value. So when they turn around and go to sell it, their basis and the sale price is pretty much exactly the same and they don't pay any tax or oh. if they wanted to hold it for years and years and years, you know, their basis is still at that fair market value from 2021. Hey, Robert, do you know, or, or uh, you know, how how does that step up affect things like property taxes? Is that going to change uh, like property taxes? Because I assume you know, uh, real estate changing hands, you know, titles changing, it, it's going to you know change the the property tax on the property. That's a good question. I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I think there are there are a number of factors that um, do not increase the, um, the property taxes. Um, inheritance might be one, but I'm not hundred percent sure on that. So let me get this straight. Let's, let me, let me use my own, um, example then let's say, you know, I just purchased a home. Let's say I, I pay everything off or, or this is, this is, let's say, you know, investment property or my, or, or my personal, you know, my, my primary home, mm-hmm. uh, I pass away and then my children inherit it. If they don't want to sell it, uh, the main thing they have to deal with is this, you know, potential new basis for property taxes. But besides that, they do not have to pay me a dollar. They don't have to pay anything, any one dollar because, well, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And, and they just get this home. Basically, yeah. Uh, or if it's if it's a rental property that you own, say it's not your primary residence, say it's a rental property, then they would still get that step up in basis. And they would have this, pro- or if it is your, your primary residence, they might not want to live there. They can just rent it out. And turn it into a rental property, but they for they would still get that step up in basis, and they would still basically like you sold it to them at fair market value. Got it. Let's talk about because we kind of touched this topic just now. Let's say you don't use ten thirty one, um, and, and you get uh, capital gains on your investment property sale. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what are the rough percentages? Is it the same as like selling a stock or, or that there's like a whole set of rules just for like real estate capital gains too? No, um, they're exactly the same as if you sold a stock. And so it's, so there's either short-term or long-term. Short-term is less than a year. Long-term is more than a year. You don't really want short-term uh, because those are taxed at ordinary rates. The long-term has, um, has preferential rates, meaning that, you know, depending on what your income level is, your tax bracket, you can pay 0% in tax. You can take, you can pay 15% or at the most you can pay 20%. So just, it, it depends on what tax bracket you're in and what income level you're in, but most people it's around 15%, but, um, but I guess at the worst, it's going to be 20%. And that is just for federal, for IRS purposes. For California, there are no preferential rates. So you're just going to be paying ordinary rates uh, depending on your income level. Jason, you had a question about SALT deductions. You want to ask that? Mm-hmm. So first of all, mortgage interest. Can you just kind of explain a little bit about how the mortgage interest deduction works? Because uh, I don't know the details, but I, I, I have known and heard that uh, there's like a limit. I think it used to be something like 500 or a million, and now it's like 750. Like what exactly, what are the details on that? Uh, yeah, okay. So it used to be a million dollars of acquisition debt, and then another $100,000 of uh, like a line of credit to build out something on your home. So usually we just take 1.1 million and that's the value of the house. And then if, if anything was over that for the loan, uh, we did a special ratio calculation and it would limit your, uh, the mortgage interest you can deduct. Now, after, I think it's sometime in September of 2017, when uh, the TCJA happened, uh, that number is, or that amount is limited to $750,000 just in acquisition debt. So you buy your house for a million dollars in 2020, but you're only limited to that 750. So there's, so you're only limited to deducting uh, 75% of your total mortgage interest for that year. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so if I'm hearing you correctly, basically you can deduct interest up to loan amounts of 750. So hypothetically, like if you bought the home for a million dollars, you put a $250,000 down payment, you're financing 750,000. You're able to deduct all of that interest. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then on, um, you know, every year when you get, it's form 1098 that their mortgage um, company, you know, reports how much mortgage interest you paid for the year, they report it to the IRS, they send it to you. And that's where you give your, your CPA, your tax professional, whatever. And on there, they, they added a few years ago, which we as a tax professional I love, is they have the outstanding balance right on the 1098. So it tells me whether that's a red flag of, should I be limiting their interest or not? So uh, it just helps out. And I guess maybe not, it helps me out, but it doesn't help the taxpayer out because now you're reporting that a number to the IRS. So the IRS knows exactly what your outstanding balance is. That makes sense. So let's talk about SALT deductions a little bit. So uh, from from what I've heard, a few years ago, basically you can deduct your, you know, uh, all of your state and local taxes, 
Uh, I think property taxes fell into that as well. And I, I don't I think there was any uh, any limit on it. But recently, I think the uh, the recent uh, Trump tax plan basically reorganized that. So there was like a, a limit on that. Can you explain those limits and how that works? Yeah. So before the TCJA Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that uh, Trump enacted, um, there was no limit on the state and local tax salt. Um, and so you can deduct the all the state taxes you paid for, you know, for California, if you're in California, whatever state you, you pay taxes in. Um, you could also deduct your real estate taxes and your DMV fees. Um, DMV fees are you're paying taxes to the state. Um, so those are usually the, the three main things. You could also do sales tax, but it's like an either or, and we never really pay attention to that unless you're buying something huge that has a lot of sales tax, like a million dollar yacht or something like that. Um, but the, the big uh, part of that was your state taxes. Um, you know, real estate taxes, yes, you know, you could pay, you know, five, 10, $15,000, but the state taxes are, you know, what most of high net uh, wealth individuals are paying is they're paying a lot of state tax. Um, so that with the TCJA, that was limited now to $10,000. So anything over that is you can't deduct it. So most people uh, between their, if they own a home, real estate and their, their state taxes is going to be over that $10,000. So it hurts everybody. I mean, not only the rich, but it hurts everybody. Unless you're not a homeowner, then you don't care. You're probably taking standard deduction and, and that's all. But now it's limited to $10,000. So if you pay, you know, uh, say $100,000 in, in state taxes, you're still only limited to that $10,000. If you pay, um, you know, say myself, say I'm I'm paying, you know, say six thousand dollars in in real estate taxes, but then I'm paying, you know, another five in state taxes. Um, I'm, you know, a thousand dollars of my my taxes that I'm paying is non deductible. That makes sense. And uh, no, I have heard the recently one of uh, one of the Biden, I don't know if it's a tax plan or, or one of the plans that's coming out was actually removing that cap. Is, is that true? At the very beginning, they wanted to remove it, but that never got in, you know, onto paper, uh, I think. And then uh, a few of their proposals had it, the limit rise from 10,000 to maybe like 60 or 80. I can't remember exactly. Um, but I think in this last round of proposals that they, they tabled that and they, they took that off. So uh, I don't think that, uh, that that's going to go through. So I think we're going to have the 10,000 probably for another couple of years, uh, unless you know they, something changes. But it looks like we're stuck with that. However, I will say this. Um, when the TCJA got passed, there was a limit. Uh, I'm not sure maybe the limit is, is the right word. Um, there's a date at which that everything expires. So all the tax cuts and jobs ads, all, all of the, um, the stuff that Trump put into place, um, it expires uh, December 31st, 2025. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking, are we trying to change the law now when in four years, 
it's gone anyways. Uh, the only thing in the TCJA that stayed was lowering the corporate taxes uh, to 21%. That's the only thing that in the TCJA is permanent. Everything expires 1231-2025. So, it, you know, it, it's, are you going to fight and try and get this, uh, you know, make sacrifices uh, in the political world, try and get this in, into law, and then it just expires in four years. So they might just leave it alone. All right, let's kind of go back to another topic about the uh, inheritance. So, you know, there's other ways to transfer home besides inheritance. Let's say for whatever reason, or maybe you, you, you can let me know what reasons you've seen people do this. Uh, let's say, uh, you know, a parent in their, you know, forget about the parent, just like one family member wants to sell a house to another family member. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they have to sell it at the, the so-called the fair market price. Like I cannot just... Even, let's say I also have a family. I can't just sell Chase in my house for a dollar, mm-hmm. correct? So, uh, so well, when you're selling a property to, let's say, family or friends, I'm assuming there's no nothing special you can do besides inheritance. It's just you have to like list it and you have to go sell it. Um, so the IRS calls it an arm's length transaction. It's just be basically like a regular business transaction with two people involved that are trying to make a profit. And if you're selling to family. That's not always the case. And so the IRS just basically says you cannot um, deduct a loss. Uh, they're fine with you making, a, you know, making profit, but if you, you can't deduct a loss uh, at you know, a, um, a non-arm's-length transaction to a family member or something. So um, there's you know, specific rules, but just in general, you can't deduct a loss. Hey, Robert, so if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, like, let's, you know, rewind a little bit to, you know, 2010, where, you know, maybe somebody had bought a property in 2007. Now they're trying to sell it in 2010. Uh, so I didn't even know you could deduct a loss. I guess that makes sense. If you, you're going to ca- get capital gains taxed on the increase that goes down, you should write off the loss. So somebody in that time, like, even if they wanted to sell something to a family member, you almost don't want to because you're not going to be able to take advantage of that. Well, for a personal residence, you can't uh, take a loss. For business property or property held for investment, yes, you can uh, if it is at arm's length transaction. Uh, if it's um, not, then uh, so there, like I said, there's other rules, but basically you're, you're going to be, you're going to have to um, uh, um, defer that loss until the property is then sold again at a gain. So uh, just in, in general, if, you know, a personal residence, I cannot sell my personal residence. Actually, you can sell your personal residence for loss. You just can't deduct it on your tax return. So Frank, question for you. Do you ever get clients who uh, are doing some, you know, like selling a house between family members? And, you know, how does an agent get involved in that? Is it just pretty standard you're just doing the paperwork? You know what? I, I tell them to go talk to their CPA first because there's always all the different rules and you, you don't you don't want to do something and then and then you can't really go back in time. So that's why it's always talk to your CPA, you know, have them structure it. Um, I've actually had quite a few of those and I just sit down with the family and kind of answer their questions. But I, I, I don't want to get involved as far as they don't need a real estate broker if they already have the two parties identified. So it's first off, talk, talk to your CPA, 
ask him the questions to find out what the ta tax implications are. And then after that, um, a good escrow company will help them with the basic paperwork um, to just, just do the transaction. Because you get a broker involved, you know, now you're going to have to pay anywhere from four to 6% of that sales price. And, you know, I'm not helping you market the property, you know, go through offers, identify, you know, the potential buyers. So I always, like I said, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Talk to your, talk to your CPA after you're comfortable with that. Here's a couple different escrow officers for a, a basic fee would be more than happy to help you. Great. Thanks. Okay. Uh, here's some other weird, maybe just weird for average uh, people uh, activities, but can you tell us a bit about, you know, buying real estate with, let's say, LLCs or or putting uh, real estate in a trust? I guess those are just two wildly different topics. Maybe let's cover the, you know, buying real estate with, you know, a corporate entity. Like, okay. why do people do it? And, and what are the benefits of doing that? So we're going to start kind of get into more tax concepts. So I'll try and keep it at high level. Um, but if you're buying it, so are we going to talk about personal residence or are we buy, talking about buying for investment? So uh, both. Let's do okay. personal, or do people even buy a personal home with an LLC? If yes, let's talk about it. And then if not, let's talk about investment. I guess you can um, buy a personal residence under an LLC, but uh, you know I'm not sure, unless you have this and, and you have like, it's a nice property where you're having weddings or having events where you want to limit your liability on somebody getting hurt, then maybe you own it in an LLC. But once you do that, and a lot of people, actually a lot of people put it in like their living trust, um, which is okay. But if you put it in an LLC, or if you put it in anything other than a, uh, a, a living trust or a grantor type trust, then you're not going to get that step up a basis when you pass away. So that is one caveat. That's one downside. If you put it in an LLC, um, actually, if you, I think you may, if it's an LLC, if you're, if it's for an investment, then you're, uh, you, there will be some type of step up in basis, but it's different than if you're for your personal residence. So if you're buying a investment property, you most likely, you can put it any type of partnership. You do not want to put it in a corporation. There are tax complications that I won't really go into, but do not put it in a corporation, uh, a C-Corp or an S. You're going to want to put it in a partnership, most likely an LLC. And most likely, if it's you know just like you know, one of us, we're going to put it in a single member LLC. And that's a disregarded entity for, for federal purposes. And so it's just mostly for limiting liability. And you just report it on your 1040. Um, but just, yeah, so most likely it's, it's going to be an LLC. Unless you're going uh, partners with someone, then you can probably have a limited partnership. Okay. So no, I think that makes sense for why it probably isn't optimal to do personal residence in LLC. Let's talk about this uh, investment property though. So what, what are the pros and cons of doing it? And, and, and what types of properties are more well-suited to be an LLC. I think you, you kind of already uh, gave a, like a preview, you know, maybe like something like a venue. Uh, but besides that, um, you know, I guess my question is, couldn't you just deduct the expenses on your itemized anyways, or does the LLC give you extra benefits? Um, so once you, so if you're talking about 
owning uh, your personal residence in, in an LLC, you can only deduct you know, your, your normal mortgage interest and real estate taxes. If you're turning it, if it's property held for investment, it's an actual rental activity. It's a business. You're going to be reporting that on Schedule E, um, and then you can deduct, deduct all the expenses as if it's a business, um, gardening, uh, any type of utility, stuff like that. If it, you know, it can't be your personal residence, obviously, but it is, you're renting it out to a third party or, you know, I guess it could be a family mem member that you're renting it to, but then you would have to, you know, charge rent and everything. Um, and you get depreciation and that's uh, another big thing for um, people uh, in real estate um, getting a, a deduction for depreciation that uh, your personal residence, you, you do not get that. Okay, so let me let me clarify. So let's say um, you know I have my personal residence, and now I'm buying a you know duplex uh, as an investment property. It sounds like I have two ways to do this. I could either just kind of mortgage it with you know under my, my my name, or I can create an LLC to purchase the duplex. Mm -hmm. What are the pros and cons of putting this duplex in an LLC? Or, or not? Um, so there's you know, a few different things. Um, if you're putting an LLC, obviously you're limiting your liability. Even if you have insurance, there's caps on insurance, on um, the payouts and stuff like that. If something catastrophic uh, happens and it's in an LLC, all they can get is that property. They can't go into your personal assets. So that's one of the big things. Uh, you know, another thing that you, you have to think about is you're forming this entity so it is a business. You ha it has to be run like a business. And you, there is a tax return that does have to get filed and you have to pay uh, state taxes. There are no uh, federal taxes you have to pay, but there is a, for California at least, there's a minimum you have to pay $800 every single year. So it's just the price of doing business in California. The minimum is $800 to have a business, um, even if it's a single member LLC. All right, Robert, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, we, we learned a lot about tax. And I think there's a lot more to talk about. So really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, had, a, had a blast. So thanks.